Are you a fan of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more magic, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for Superhero Therapy, and select one of our tiers. Now, on with the show. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. Yeah! Today, we're going to be covering The Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 11, The Firebolt. So after learning that Sirius Black was his father's close friend, his father's best man, and his own godfather... Harry is reeling. He was their friend. And he betrayed them. He was their friend! Back at his dorm, he grabs his parents' photo album and sees pictures of Black laughing and buddying up to his father and his parents on their wedding day. Not only is he gutted by all this, he's also confused why no one told him the truth. It feels like betrayal on all the levels. Can you discuss the level of Harry's pain here and the best way to handle being overwhelmed like he is in this moment? I don't even know where one would start. Harry has every right to be angry and frustrated here. Oftentimes adults think that they're protecting the child by not telling them the truth. But the truth is eventually children find out what happened and the outcome might be even worse than if the child was to be gradually exposed to the facts of what happened and supported and prepared. So as you mentioned, at this point, Harry is devastated and betrayed and furious and just absolutely devastated. And honestly, the best thing that someone in that situation can do is vent, grieve, cry, allow their emotions out and by being surrounded by friends like Ron and Hermione or another supportive person so for any of you out there who might be going through a betrayal processing what you went through by either venting about it to loved ones to your friends family or your therapist by writing about what you're going through can allow you to process some of that 
essentially poison, if you will, that you've experienced. Trauma, grief, betrayal, they're kind of like food poisoning, right? We need to process them to let them out of our body. And what that means is that sometimes we need to talk about it on multiple occasions. Sometimes we need to vent about it on multiple occasions. For Harry, for example, he might benefit from something called the empty chair exercise, which is where he might imagine confronting different people that either lied to him about Black's involvement in this, about what he believed Sirius Black's involvement was anyway. Also maybe imagine what he might say to Sirius Black if he ever saw him. So just by letting some of his anger and frustration out in this way, a person can process their feelings, they can allow some of that pressure to release and can allow to then get to the place where they can process the grief that's really under all that anger. Mm-hmm. Speaking of grief and Sirius Black, it's mentioned that the Dementors don't affect Sirius Black at all. I mean, I have my own opinions, but why do you think this is? Actually, I'd love to hear what you think. Really? Yes. (laughs) Well, I think that it's all sad for him. I realize that at this point, spoilers are spoilers. I mean, it's been out forever, and we know certain things about who Sirius Black really is. It's just all sadness, right? He doesn't have any happy memories for them to suck out of him. He's already an empty shell because he's defeated. He feels completely defeated that he knows the truth and he's just this huge victim. That's why he laughed. He laughed his last little bit of happiness out before he was locked away. I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. The truth is, I think he'd been through so much abandonment by his own family, right? What we learn later is that his own family abandoned him for siding with the Order of the Phoenix instead of siding with Voldemort, right? And so his own family erased him from their existence. Someone like that, I think, had probably already learned how to cope with grief, with depression, with abandonment. Also, I think by being surrounded by... James and Lily and by his friends, I think that allowed him to heal to remember what all of it was for. I apologize if these are spoilers. Being an innocent person in Azkaban all those years, there's one thing that got him through, and that is his desire for vengeance, his desire to prove himself, his desire to let people know the truth. And I think that's what kept the Dementors at bay in a way. I think he was so driven. I think that his sense of purpose is what allowed him to not be affected by the Dementors. It's a very interesting thought to put out there to have this opinion of why. (laughs) I mean, we know know both fictionally and anecdotally, sometimes when people are really driven either to survive, for example, as many people were, like Viktor Frankl, for example, who was driven to survive the worst of the Holocaust. He was driven to survive the concentration camps. When I was taken to the concentration camp of Auschwitz, a manuscript of mine ready for publication was confiscated. Certainly, my deep desire to write this manuscript anew helped me to survive the rigors of the camps I was in. In some ways, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. 
whether you call it hope, whether you call it dedication, in Sirius's case, I think it was this drive for vengeance and drive for the truth. I think that having something to live for can give the person the perseverance that they need to get through some of the biggest challenges of their lives, such as going through the most horrific prison, like the Azkaban prison. I love it. I just, man, it's just something to ponder on. (laughs) Harry sits up in his bed, fermenting in his sadness and anger. He struggles with his thoughts and these hypothetical scenarios to the point he hardly gets any sleep. We've all had those moments where our minds just won't let us doze off. It got me thinking about insomnia and trouble sleeping. Can you discuss insomnia and how our thoughts can perpetuate our struggle to sleep? When we're trying to solve some kind of a puzzle, like when we're trying to figure out what's going on in our lives, when we're trying to figure out how do we resolve a conflict with a loved one, or how do we prevent somebody that we think of as a terrible homicidal sociopath (laughs) from coming after us and our friends, things like that will keep us up at night. Our brain is meant to look out for our safety. And so if our brain perceives a certain situation as dangerous, whether or not it's actually dangerous, our brain will put all other tasks aside and focus on survival. So if, for example, we think there's a tiger around the corner, our brain will not let us sleep as much as possible to make sure that we don't get eaten by a tiger. Mm But the same thing happens when we might think that, for example, what if my partner is leaving me or what if my friend is angry at me? Although these situations are not necessarily life-threatening, I think that our minds and our bodies have been conditioned to treat them as life-threatening and therefore might not allow us to sleep until we can process what's going on. For somebody struggling with sleep in this way, one of the helpful things would be to, first of all, process what's going on during the day instead of avoiding it, right? So to write out what's happening, to discuss it with their friends, to come up with a set of solutions together. It's also really helpful to have a set of pretty strict sleep hygiene practices. For example, to go to bed and get up at roughly the same time every day. And that includes weekends to have some kind of a wind down activity before bed, maybe to do something that's calming and peaceful instead of just ruminating on what's going on. Again, for many people, turning off their rumination at bedtime is an impossible task. And that's why it's very important to make time for it during the day. In fact, you can even purposely make an appointment with your worry, with your anxiety, write out what's going on, write out how you're feeling, talk to your anxiety earlier so that it doesn't come to haunt you at night. I feel like I had insomnia when I was younger because I couldn't get to sleep. I just couldn't, didn't want to lay down. In this case, Harry's not struggling with insomnia. He's struggling with a few sleepless nights. Mm -hmm. Insomnia is a disorder where people are not able to get enough sleep on a regular basis to the point that their lack of sleep is getting in the way of their functioning, right? It's not allowing them to function at work or at school. So if Harry is consistently only able to get a few hours of sleep and bad quality sleep and 
because of this, he's not making it to his classes. He's not able to be on the Quidditch team. We would say, yeah, he's really struggling with this clinical diagnosis. In Harry's case, he's not struggling with insomnia. For some people, insomnia might be related to anxiety. For some people, it might be related to irregular sleep patterns. And that's where being stringent with getting up at the same time every day can teach our body to then be tired at a certain time at night. A lot of people who try to get on a good sleeping schedule try to do that by trying to go to bed earlier. It doesn't tend to work. What tends to work is a little bit of sleep deprivation where we force ourselves to get up at the same time every morning, even if we've only gotten a couple hours of sleep to build up what's called sleep deficit. And once our body's tired enough, then it's going to be easier for us to fall asleep at an earlier time. People have died from insomnia, haven't they? Not commonly. People might die from sleep deprivation. In general, insomnia itself is dangerous if people are, let's say, driving, operating heavy machinery, mm -hmm. things like that. By itself, insomnia is not commonly a deadly disorder. People fear it. I think that one of the reasons why a lot of people struggle with sleep is because as they're struggling to fall asleep, they think, what if I never fall asleep again? And the anxiety of that thought makes it more likely that they'll stay awake. And actually, the best thing to do when that's happening is to force yourself to stay awake on purpose, to challenge yourself to stay awake, to say, you know what, I'm just going to spend all night staying awake on purpose. And either that night or the following night, you'll end up sleeping. <laughs> but it's people who are not allowed to sleep as a form of torture, for mm. example, that might be likely to die of sleep deprivation. Because after five or six nights of not sleeping, our body starts to break down. We might experience delirium. And after a while, yes, people might die. But that is not likely to happen from insomnia. That might happen from purposeful sleep torture. Mm. It's very interesting. I just really wanted to learn more about insomnia. <laughs> so thank you for that. Haggard receives a letter from the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures with regards to Buckbeak and Buckbeak's attack on Draco. Haggard says that there is nothing he can do to provide a proper defense because this committee is run by Lucius Malfoy and his pockets, basically his money. Haggard has no hope in this situation at all. We've all felt those desperate moments that feel hopeless and where nothing we did seemed to make any difference at all. In your opinion, what's the best way to handle moments like these where you feel like it's just hopeless? Oof, this question feels so heavy, especially this week after the most recent impeachment trials. And <laughs> I think that so often we might see injustices happening, we might see committee of really biased individuals make a really biased and unfair and unjust decision and when that happens sometimes we might need to push back the way that Harry, Ron, Hermione and Dumbledore and Hagrid do in this book in order to make sure that justice is served. I think the most important thing is for us to remember that there's always something that we can do. That if we couldn't do something in this particular situation, it doesn't mean we can't do anything in general. That our voices matter, that we count, that 
World War II was ended because enough people realized that what was going on was wrong. It wasn't just the countries that were being invaded. It was countries all over the world that united against injustices. What we're seeing in this chapter is a strong parallel to real life in terms of sometimes we might feel defeated when in a particular situation, things might not have gone our way. Things might not have been just, but that means that we get up and we fight harder. That means that we keep going. That means that we fight and fight and fight again because only that way justice can be preserved. Justice can be met if we keep on remembering what we're fighting for and that every day we get up and we fight time and time again. This chapter also briefly explores Hagrid's experience in Azkaban prison. Although he was innocent, he was the prime suspect for the attacks that were happening during the Chamber of Secrets and was forced to go to Azkaban back in the second book. It's only one book back, but so easy to overlook this. Here's what Hagrid tells Harry, Ron, and Hermione about his time at Azkaban. Never been anywhere like it. Thought I was going mad. Kept going over horrible stuff in me mind. The day I got expelled from Hogwarts, day me dad died, day I had to let Norbert go. You can't really remember who you are after a while, and you can't see the point of living at all. I used to hope I'd just die in me sleep. When they let me out, it was like being born again. Everything came flooding back. It was the best feeling in the world, mind. The Dementors weren't keen on letting me go. Hagrid explains that Dementors are indifferent to who's guilty or not. They're only motivated to feed on happiness and don't care about the damage they cause. It's so easy to draw parallels to some of these groups of people that are out there these days. Dementors are mythical monsters and they have excuses for their behaviors and their drives. What can be said about humans that exhibit this indifferent, selfish nature? I think that some humans who possess this kind of indifference might either have no capacity for empathy and in fact, 1% of the human population has a genetic mutation that doesn't allow them to have the ability to experience empathy. Sometimes we think of these individuals as sociopathic or some of them might be diagnosed with either narcissistic personality disorder or antisocial personality disorder. Other individuals might have the capacity for empathy, but that empathy might be suppressed by that individual's group membership. When some people are in extremist groups, they start exhibiting empathy toward only the members of their group and start being really hostile toward members of the other group. And in fact, we're seeing this like amplification of groupthink, of group effect sometimes, where individuals in some of the most extreme groups tend to be especially low on empathy to the point of not being able to recognize members of other groups as humans, right, in this dehumanizing kind of way, therefore being more likely to act in violent, aggressive, and vicious ways toward them. On Christmas Day, Harry receives an anonymous gift, a firebolt. The Firebolt is the newest, fastest, best broom out there. It's a very generous gift. It's very expensive. There was no card or indication of who sent it to Harry. I would feel very suspicious about receiving a gift like this just out of the blue. Hermione ends up telling Professor McGonagall about Harry's new Firebolt. 
Professor McGonagall examines it and decides to confiscate it so that it can be checked for jinxes. Considering the circumstances, this is a good move for McGonagall, right? Absolutely. Given everything that's going on, given that Sirius Black is after Harry and given that he had broken into Hogwarts, it seems like everyone needs to be on guard and given that what Harry wanted more than anything was a firebolt and his broom just broke and he just received a firebolt, it makes sense that Hermione and McGonagall would both be suspicious. Right. It's kind of like Hagrid receiving Norbert back in the day. <laughs> and that's a little suspicious. too convenient. <laughs> yeah. So Ron and Harry are very upset with Hermione for telling McGonagall. Hermione is just worried and concerned that it could have been sent by Sirius Black to harm Harry. I've heard it said that sometimes those who love us might do things for our own good. What do you think about actions like this? I think sometimes people think that people who care about them should always do things that make them feel good, but that's not the case. Sometimes when we make a mistake, for example, it doesn't make sense for individuals in our lives to enable us to continue making mistakes, especially if we're doing something that's maybe thoughtless or dangerous. For somebody who's such a high target as Harry, who everyone believes to be Sirius Black's main target, it makes sense that people who love Harry the most might think that it might have been a trap. And so it's understandable that Harry would feel frustrated because he doesn't want his shiny new toy taken away from him. And at the same time, it's for his own good and for his own safety to have this new broom checked for jinxes. If anyone that I love and care about received an extraordinary gift from somebody that they didn't know, I would want to make sure that it's safe. Yeah, you'd have to check that out. Who knows what's going on these days? <laughs> and on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Harry Potter Therapy. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Harry Potter Therapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay magical out there, everybody. Stay kind and take care. The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening.